Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And to the show, we've got Tony Alexander back on. And today we're talking about how to create your own property investment analysis. Now, of course, Tony, people can read your reports and they're about, I'd say, four or five of them a week that come out some weeks. And of course, they could read these to get a sense of what is happening with the New Zealand property market. But if somebody's sitting at home wanting to get to grips with the property market, how can they create their own property market analysis? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So where would you start, Tony? If you're looking to, to get a sense of the market, what would be the first piece of data or graph you'd be going to look at? Yeah, I'd start with the REINZ data on house price movement. So I use the house price index for the country as a whole, not the median price measure, because that's a pretty accurate measure. It adjusts for if you're mainly selling flats one month versus, you know, standalone houses the next. So that would tell me what's happening with prices. And also, of course, they have the data on sales. So I'd have a look at their sales to get a feeling for is the market relatively strong? Is every man and his dog sort of in the market there? So that would be my very basic starting point. And then I'd look to make it a bit more specific, trying to get some information maybe on rents. How have they been moving in my area? So you got your MBIE data coming out each month on the rents there, month and, and each quarter at the regional and local authority level. So that can, you can start making some graphs in that regard. Finding what's actually happening with tenant demand, that's pretty difficult. I don't know that there's any time series out there that says, We've got more than usual number of tenants. You'd have to look at what the trade me people say because they have a decent quantity of data there that they're starting to put out. So see what they are putting out. And the core logic guys, they can get pretty disaggregated down to some local levels on what they've got. So I might start looking there. But like I say, first of all, start with the REINZ data and start moving from there. Now, I've got to come clean with you as well, Tony. The reason I wanted to do this episode is we're in the process of creating a data hub on our website. And by the time this episode gets released, that will be completely finished or, or mostly finished. And this is where we're collecting all of the important data and putting it in one website. Because if I think about what you and I have to do when we're going in and finding data, sometimes it's from StatsNZ, sometimes it's from Ryan's, and that can be behind a paywall. And sometimes it's from the CoreLogic guys or MB. And there's all of these different places where you've got to get the data and we're putting it freely available on our website so people can play around with it. So I want to get a little bit more specific. If you're looking at, say, the Rhine's house price index, which is basically how fast a property price is going up or down, are you looking at it on an annual basis? I uh, look at the monthly movements and maybe monthly seasonally adjusted. Now, I don't think REI and Z do a seasonal adjustment themselves, but ANZ do, I think ASB do as well. So some months, usually like, for instance, March, prices rise quite a bit. It's really, really active more than other months of the year. So have a look at the raw REINZ data on the house price change. But then if you can, have a look at what the ANZ, maybe ASB have said about seasonally adjusted prices. So that's what I would look at. And, and be aware that you know th they adjust, like I say, for the changes in the mix of properties that are being sold out there. So that's what I tend to look at. The Reserve Bank for their longer term analysis, they, I think, use a combination of the, the longer term multi-year REINZ data and also the core logic data as well. But from my point of view, the most up-to-date on this is covering this month, like entirely, is from the REINZ. The other data source, sources tend to be averages for three-month periods. And how does someone get the information from the ANZ with their adjusted figures? 
Oh, okay. Uh, you said to go to ANZ Economic Analysis. So just Google that and you'll get onto their economic research page. And they do a lot of commentary about the data when it comes out. And the ASB does and the BNZ, the whole kahuna. Just confirming as well for everybody at home, both the Rhine's house price index that house price increases on an annual and monthly basis are actually going to be in Data Hub. I think they're actually already online as we record this. So we're going to be looking at how quickly house prices are going up or going down as they are now. You also said you'd be looking at sales volume. So that's the number of properties sold in a given month or a year. Are you looking at it on an annual basis or a monthly basis? What are you looking at to get a sense of it? Yeah, you'd look at, I think, maybe be careful of comparisons of just about anything with a year ago at the moment because the pandemic has made all those comparisons just you know, absolutely weird, quite frankly. But I do look at the total number of sales in the past year, compare that with the peak of 100,000 in the year to about June or July of 2021. So you can see we're running now at about 57,000. So the market is definitely quietened down. But even the 100,000 back then, it wasn't as high as 120,000 back in 2004. So why might that be? Because there was such a frenzy, because the listings are relatively short. So I'd also look at the listings data from realestate.co.nz. The stocks of listings, how much property is actually available for Lots sale? Lots available at the moment. Lots available at the moment, but it's down 11% from its peak, seasonally adjusted. And I emphasise this a lot. You see, in the second half of 2021, house prices rose 11%. Migration was negative. The interest rates were rising. The LVRs were, were back. Why did prices rise in an unusual 11% second half of 21? And the only reason I can find is that listings fell away to a record low of 13,500 in about July or so. Now they're sitting at about 25,800 uh, 25, at the end of April, but that's down 11% from the peak at December. Why do I emphasize that? Perceptions of listings availability will influence people's behavior. And if there's one thing we are radically attuned to since the pandemic, is anyone saying, I've heard there's a shortage of something, and we'll react. This isn't relevant at the moment. But at some stage, people are going to go, you know, there's not as much stock available. Maybe there's going to be a shortage that will trigger people and bring the buyers back into the market. We're not there yet. What about things like consents? Do you look at those kind of things? A, they're not as reliable now as previously because there's a bit of a disconnect opened up between number of consents issued and the actual number of houses being built. Yeah. A lot of developers have got consents for properties that aren't ever going to be built. The yes. numbers simply don't stack up. But I feed that into my longer term analysis. The number of consents is now running 21% down from a year earlier in the three months to, I think we're up to March for their data. And I mainly, when I'm talking about consents, I'm really addressing builders. Yes. Uh, people in that sector saying a level of 51,000 a year ago, record high, completely unsustainable. This is going to come off. You might want to take some risk off the table. But also, of course, I've been warning to people looking at getting something built you just got to be aware a lot of inexperienced, undercapitalized, over-optimistic people have become builders, contractors, <laughs> yeah. or whatever, and they're going to get burnt off once these numbers start falling away. And I made those comments from over two years ago before we saw the massive tightening up in materials availability, costs up, staff availability, costs up. So we're at the start now of a two to three year period of decline in house construction around the country. We've already seen some home buyers sort of lose their deposits because the bill has gone under, they haven't put the money in the right place. There's going to be more of that for the next maybe couple of years. Okay, so we're starting out with house price changes on a monthly basis. We're looking at sales on an annual basis and putting that in with listings. By the way, we promo again. We've actually got the housing stock data from the realestate.co.nz. That's on the website as well, so you can have a wee look at that. What's really interesting 
is that realestate.co.nz produced two measures of listings. The first is how many properties are actually getting listed. But then there's the one that I think you report more on, which is the housing stock. Not how many properties were listed in a given month, but how many listings are still there. Yep. And that's the important one that people want to look at. What I think both us and realestate.co.nz call housing stock, because that feeds into the perception thing you just talked about of how many listings are actually there, not how many came on in a given month and have come off. Exactly right. And at the moment, there's lots of listings, so it's not on people's radars. But that's what I try to emphasize as an economist, that sometimes your assumptions, either they're wrong at the moment or they're going to be wrong in a few months' time. And that's going to happen for listings at some stage. I keep using these three words. At some stage, people are going to realize these listings not quite available. I will now move into the market. And why I emphasize that is because we've got almost 18 months worth of, who knows, tens of thousands of people who want to make a purchase, but they haven't because they've been waiting for prices to go down. Yes. And so at some stage, people are going to go, I think we're at or close to the bottom. I don't need to hang out for the last 3.5% in my locality. We're going to move now. I've got no idea how rapidly prices will go up, but they've already gone down, you know, 24% in Wellington. That's good enough. At some stage, that 18-month queue steps forward Mm. and the listings drop. And just in terms of the rents, there's a couple of different data series that get put out by the Ministry of Business Innovation and Employment. What are you looking at? Is it median rents and the change in that that we're looking at? For me, to be honest, I actually don't follow the rental data myself. I've found that people's predictions of rental movements have been appallingly bad in my observation of people who do those sort of things over the past two to three decades. I don't maintain a rental database up myself. So this is more addressing if somebody's looking at a potential purchase for getting a feel for what, what is the average level of rents in the area that I'm looking at. So I'd use it predominantly for that in terms of, oh, it's 440 a week average or it's 870. I've got goodness knows from one part of the country. So I'd start there with that, but get a feel for the flow, the new properties, the new bonds being taken because that's where they get the data from. Does it look like there's an increase that it might be for the whole stock of rents in this area? They've increased 3.5% on a year ago, but the new ones coming through, the new bonds being lodged, they're at an average of 5.6. Oh, this market right here has tightened up a bit. That would be useful information. Okay. And if, if house price changes are important, annual sales is important, rents, listings, housing stock, those things, what data would you say is not important to look at? If you were creating an analysis, getting to grips with it, what are some things that people report on and you see in the media, but actually doesn't make a blind bit of difference, mate? Yeah. The top one, house price expectations. So surveys of what people expect house prices are going to do over the coming year, 100% completely ignore them. <laughs> because they lag what is actually happening in prices. Because they're asking people, what do you expect prices are going to do? And the view that people have is based on what they've just read in the newspaper, which is basically reporting on what prices have just done over the past year or so. So I would completely ignore the house price expectations data there. And every now and then I produce a graph looking at the measure that is produced, for instance, the ASB's uh, quarterly housing intentions indicator. It gives a good tracking of how people are sort of feeling mm. about the whole thing but it's not a leading indicator of where things are likely to go. So if you read in, say, the ASB survey that comes out and people think that, oh, house prices are definitely going to go down, not a good time, that's not necessarily going to say that that's what's going to happen in the next 12 months. House prices are not necessarily going to go down. 
that's a reflection on what people have already experienced. Exactly, that's right. The expectations are what we call adaptive to what has just happened. And so if you go and look at that uh, expectations uh, series there from them or anyone else that is running them, have a look at what they were showing in the middle second half of 2021. Quite wrong, (laughs) along with the rest of us. (laughs) So anything else that you think we should just ignore, not that important? Uh, Let's see. No, that would be the main one there. Do not look at what people are saying about overseas housing markets. That is often a very big red herring. People thinking, well, if America goes this way, so will we. If Australia is going this way, so will we. No, the drivers for the New Zealand housing market are quite specific to New Zealand. So you can read all you want about who knows what's happening in Ireland or something like that. It can be a matter of interest and maybe some things to think about, but don't think it's going to be a leading indicator of what's about to happen in New Zealand. Even with Australia? Even with Australia. Australia, for instance, has had their prices by the look of it bottom out in February. And now for the eight capital cities, CoreLogic have got a good nationwide index there. Their measure's gone up for each of the past couple of months there, you know, 0.1, 0.2, nothing major like that. But be careful about reading too much into that because they had a lot of people move to the regions in the pandemic, underbuilding in the cities. Now people are shifting back from the regions to the cities into underbuilt markets, and it's giving a sort of immediate upward pressure on prices there that is not so relevant in New Zealand. We don't quite have that city-region dynamic as they do. Just as a quick aside, I always laugh when I see some developers Posting screenshots of the world population increasing. Oh, the world population. Look how fast the world population is increasing. That means that buying a new build investment property in New Zealand is a great idea. But of course, most of the world's population growth is coming out of Africa and India. And so then you think, well, just because India's population is increasing or Nigeria's population is increasing quite quickly, what the hell has that got to do with housing demand in New Zealand? Now, of course, our population might also be increasing. But it's funny how sometimes people will look at overseas data and think that implies something about our housing market in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Now, don't look at that overseas data. Definitely a red herring. But in terms of our relationship with overseas, the migration flows, you'd want that on your database. Because this is one where I strongly say, at some stage, People are going to realise, well, we're not all flocking to Australia to get citizenship in four years. That actually the net migration flow has gone from minus 20,000 a year ago to plus 52,000 now. That's a record 72,000 turnaround in a 12-month period we've never seen before for New Zealand. At some stage, people will realise, hang on, our population growth rate's accelerating in New Zealand. And that then becomes particularly relevant for Auckland predominantly. Yes. Because while we leave the country as a whole, people tend to come into Auckland but that also becomes relevant for Christchurch as well with its post-quake resurrection. That's an extra dynamic there and a little bit for Wellington also. So I'd also be suggesting to people keep an eye on the net migration flows. They can be a big driver of things. So I guess the four main things we'd look at if we're trying to get an understanding of the New Zealand housing market is that monthly and annual house price change from the Rhine's House Price Index, the annual level of sales, how many properties have sold over the last 12 months, some amount of what's happening with rents, and then also how many listings are on the market, as well as net migration. Yeah, as well as the the net migration. And then once you've done all of that, go to my website, tonyalexander.nz, and get the REINZ survey. It's on about the third webpage that's there. I've got the only reading in the country for FOMO, the fear of missing out, because I asked the agents explicitly, are people 
fearful of missing out, you know? And so, you know, that's been really low for a year. So that gives you a gauge at the coalface. I've also got the only reading of FOOP, fear of overpaying. And I can see right from that, the survey I did a week and a half ago, the agents still see buyers are worried that if they buy now, prices will go down further. And so you can look at that and think, oh, is that a price expectations measure? I read that as a measure of there's more people sitting, waiting, yeah. waiting. I view that as an, a queued up inventory of potential buyers, that, that FOOP measure. And it's been you know, building up for quite some time. And, and when things sort of line up, the migration, understanding, the interest rate outlook changes. And I don't think really the market changes until that interest rate outlook shifts a bit. Yes. So key thing, if you do want to get an understanding of the New Zealand housing market, check out Tony's website. If you Google it, Tony Alexander, it'll come up. Sign up for his newsletters. We get ours. I enjoy the Tony's View Premium, which I cannot believe only costs us, what is it, 140 bucks a year? 150 a year. Yeah, Just cheap. careful, it'll increase it. You've put, yeah. Have you put it up uh, it to was, $150? It, it was 110 and and so now it's uh, now it's 150 Mate, oh, inflation. Inflation. Yeah. <laughs> I hope StatsNZ isn't including that in the CPI because that would be biasing it up well and truly. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you want to dig into a little bit more data, play around with it yourself. We've just released our data hub on our website, opuspartners.co.nz. Go there and check out the data for free. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. I'm Andrew Nicole. And we're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of using the property market. Until next time. <laughs>